Hello again. You guys can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving your scriptures for us all these years. I pray that you would speak to us right where we need to be spoken to. For those who need to be encouraged, I pray that you would uh, bring encouragement. For those who need to be shaken up, I pray that you would do that. Shake us up. For those of us who need to be challenged, challenge us. And I pray that all of us, every single one of us, would have our hearts filled or refilled with a fresh wonder and awe over who you are and what you've done for us. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue this series that we've been in called A World in Need of Emmanuel. A World in Need of Emmanuel. This is our Advent series for the year. Uh, this is a series about how broken our world is. It's always been broken, but especially this year, there are reminders in uh, just some, some pretty tragic ways the last few months. A reminder of how broken this world is and how desperately we need God to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. More than a new political uh, candidate, regime, more than a new king, more than a new policy change, we need God with us. More than a medication or a drug, more than anything else, we need God with us. That's what our souls cry out for. That's what the world cries out for. Two weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 1 where it says the Word became flesh. The Word, the expression of God, was made manifest in human form. God expressed himself as a human. How awesome and crazy is that? That God stepped into a baby to be with us, among us, and to grant us life. In him is life. Um, and then last week, uh, Omar preached on, our special guest Omar preached on uh, God's planned interruption, how God's story interrupts our lives and disturbs our lives and, and calls us to realign our lives with his plan of salvation, with the identity he wants to give us. And that started with Mary and Joseph. And thankfully, they said yes to that invitation. And today, I want to kind of pick up where Omar left off in Matthew chapter 2. Um, I'm going to get right into it. Uh, the title of today is called Worship, Murder, Indifference, and Mourning. These are four different responses that we are going to see in this passage. Four different responses to the arrival of Jesus. And I want to ask, which one of these do we most identify with right now in this season? Where are our hearts right now in this season? Two of them, I think, we're called to if we're followers of Jesus, and two of them we have to resist the temptation to fall into. Um, so let, let's just jump right into it. This is a longer passage than normal, uh, hopefully a shorter sermon than, than normal uh, with the dedication we did, um, but a longer passage. So let's go. Starting in verse 1, got 18 verses to cover, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So, magi from the east. Who are the magi? The magi were astrologers or philosophers, possibly even sorcerers, that came from the east. We don't know exactly where in the east. It could have been the area that was once the Babylonian Empire. It could have been further away, like China, India. We don't know where in the east, but they came. They weren't kings, by the way. Uh, we don't know how many came. Um, it could have been three, as nativity scenes depict. It could have been a lot more than that. We, we don't know. But we know that they came, they saw some kind of star that gave them a sign. Now, if they were dabbling in astrology and they were looking at the stars, and God might have shown up in their field, because that's what he does. He comes after us in areas that we're already uh, engaged in and interested in. If you're into sports, he might show up in that field. If, you, if you're working at a particular job, he might show up and try to get your attention. So he got their attention. But the big difference for them uh, that, that some of us miss is that they were looking for it. They were hungry for it. They were possibly studying the Old Testament scriptures. Scriptures like in the book of Numbers that said a star will rise out of Jacob. Or maybe they were part of the wise men, the descendants of the wise men that served with the prophet Daniel in the Babylonian court, the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And maybe they were familiar with Daniel's prophecy, his timetable of when the Messiah would come. We don't know for sure, but they were looking they were hungry. They were on alert. And so when they saw it, they came. So two things I want to point out right now. N number one, these were foreigners. These were not Jews. And this is significant because Matthew's gospel was written to show that Jesus was the promised king from the line of David. He was the promised seed of Abraham the one through whom all nations can enter into covenant with God. God made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to create a nation through you, and through that nation, all nations will be blessed. Well, Jesus, the Messiah, is the way that all nations get to be blessed, get to come into covenant with God and, and receive the promises that God made to Abraham. And so this is the story of the Bible, is that all nations will come and bow down and worship God. And Matthew is showing this happened right off the bat. Foreigners saw a star, and they wanted to come and worship the king of the Jews. And this would be a foreshadow of the end of the book of Matthew, when Jesus says to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. Go get more foreigners. Go get more magi to come. Those outside the Jewish faith, every ethnos, every people group, I want to have a chance to worship and find resurrection life in me. And we're going to take our Christmas offering that we've been talking about at the end of service, the offering that goes entirely to getting this good news out to every nook and cranny of the world so that more magi who are looking and hungry can come and worship the king of the Jews. So that's one thing. Second thing that we see from this, this just this passage is that they traveled a long distance. Whether they came from the Babylonian Empire or from further away in China and in, in India, it was at least 600 miles up to 3,000 miles that they would be traveling. That would be at least a few weeks' journey, maybe a few months' journey. So this is significant not just because it means they were not at the stable that night. They weren't in the manger, right? I know your nativity scenes might depict that. That's okay. 
not going to call you a heretic or anything like that. But they weren't there. They weren't there. They showed up later on. Um, that's significant because it means it turned their lives upside down. This wasn't a, hey, I'm going to run by uh, Bethlehem real quick and take a look at this baby. This was, honey, pack up the kids, take them out of school, forward the mail. I, I got to tell my boss I need a leave of absence. We're going to go on a big journey in search of the king of the Jews. So they were looking. They were in hot pursuit. And I just want to pause and ask a question to y'all right now. Is your heart like that? Where it's waiting and on alert. Where is God working? What is he up to? And then quick to join him in that. Even if it means it turns your life upside down a little bit. Is your heart like that right now in this season? So they get there. They say we want to worship him. Have you seen him? Uh, that word worship, it's, it's a weighty word. It has the idea of falling prostrate, kissing the feet of someone. Foreigners truly want to come, not just check him out and be interested in him, but actually worship him. And so they're asking. And the word for ask, it's like this continual asking. It's, it's like if you're looking for a child that's gone missing, have you seen him? Have you seen him? How about you? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? It's, they're in hot pursuit. They're seeking. They want to find this child because they believe him to be the king. And again, another question for your heart to consider. When was the last time you were in pursuit of the king, of King Jesus like that? Some of you might be like, oh, when I first started a relationship with Jesus. And don't you miss that? Like, oh, I want that back. I want to be searching for God again like that. Where I'm pushing aside whatever is in my way to be with him. Some of you might be here and you're like, never. I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I'm still figuring this out. That's okay. But I pray, I pray that God would stir in your heart and reveal to you who he is so that you would have the same posture as the, the Magi. I want to worship this king. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So why was he disturbed? King Herod was known in history as a very paranoid king, easily threatened. He would kill a lot of his closest associates because he thought that they wanted his throne. His throne was important. His power was important. His position was important. And so if he thought that you wanted the throne, your head would roll. So he hears about this king of the Jews that these foreigners are looking for, and he's feeling threatened, and he's going to be disturbed. And so now there's a commotion in Jerusalem. People might be wondering, is this true? Is it possible that the king of the Jews has been born? And maybe they're also a little bit disturbed because if King Herod is disturbed, you better watch out. Things are going to feel a little unstable. So right off the bat, Baby Jesus has been born, and it has sent a ripple effect. Foreigners are now looking for him. A king is threatened, and he hasn't even done a miracle yet. He hasn't even done a teaching yet. Already there are quakes in the earth because of his arrival. And people are feeling it, and they're being impacted, and they're being moved. Except for one group in this story. One group don't appear to be moved. Look what happens. 
Herod calls together the chief priests and the teachers of the law and asks them, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they would know the scriptures. They would know the prophecies. So they come and they respond in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet, that would be Micah, has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So these, this is how the chief priests respond. We know the answer, King Herod. We know where he's supposed to be born. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the interesting thing. Where are they right now? Jerusalem? Jerusalem. I don't know if I heard anybody say it, but it's Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. And they are not going to go to Bethlehem. They don't join the Magi in their journey to Bethlehem, which is only a few miles away. They're not traveling like the Magi are from a few hundred miles or a thousand miles away. They got a few miles, but they're not traveling. They're not going. They're not on high alert. They're not looking. They're knowing the scriptures, but apparently they have been so inoculated to those scriptures that they know so well that their hearts have become indifferent. Jesus will later on say something similar to the religious leaders. You know the scriptures, but the scriptures point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me for life. And here's the first generation doing the very same thing. Yeah, we know the scriptures, Herod. We got this down. This is where it's supposed to be. But then they continue with their lives, and they don't disrupt their lives, and they're just fine as it is. They're fine knowing the scriptures. And they're indifferent to the actual Savior that has been born among them. Not going to look, not going to question, not saying, hi, is this true? I pray, True Life Church, that we do not slip into indifference. That we don't know the scriptures so well, have the right answer, sing the songs, but are in really indifferent to knowing Jesus more. I pray that for my kids all the time. They're a pastor's kid. We talk about the Bible. They know things about the scripture, but man, there's going to be a temptation if, if there already is. Yeah, we know that. Anyway, in fact, recently on a Sunday night, we were eating dinner and we were asking our two younger ones, because they go to kids ministry, what did you learn about in church? And one of them responded and said, we didn't learn anything. We already knew that one. I was like, what were you reminded about? What did you focus on? What did you work on? Because they play sports and they know that just because you, you, you learn a new skill, you have to keep practicing it. You practice a swing over and over. You practice a kick over and over. Right? I'm trying to learn to play the guitar. You don't learn a chord, a, you know, an E minor, and then go, I got that down. It's like you, you have to work on that. And that goes with any uh, truth about Scripture. I know God is sovereign, but do I really know it? No. I know God loves me, but there's so much more to his love for me to understand and explore and experience. He's a well that never runs dry. There's always more of him to know. Imagine I said that about my wife. Oh, yeah, I know her already. I don't need to really spend much time with her. There's so much more about God, but our hearts easily slip into indifference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, what I'm really focused on right now is, and I think it's extra tempting, ironically, it's extra tempting at the Christmas season, isn't it? I love how Omar put it last week. I don't want Christmas to spoil my Advent. 
Right? I want to meditate on the arrival of Jesus. And I don't want the Christmas season to spoil that. To distract me, to get me so busy and so hurried and so focused on, oh, I got to get a gift for Uncle Harry because if I see Uncle Harry and he gets me a gift, it's going to be weird. So let me get out there and I got to make it to every party and I have to say yes to this. And we show up to church and we show up to Christmas Eve service and then we're thinking, oh, but how's the gathering going to go tomorrow night? And how am I going to get all the cooking done? All the distractions can cause us to slip into indifferent. Even comforts that we enjoy can cause us to slip into indifference. The Magi are in hot pursuit, flipping their lives upside down, and the chief priests and teachers of the law are like, yeah, we know the answers, but we ain't moving. So I'll, I'll challenge you guys to maybe just consider this last week leading up to Christmas. What can you do to disrupt your soul and fight against indifference? Last year, our church did a media fast that week. We're not doing it again this week because we, we did a fall fasting thing and um, but I just, maybe as an individual, just consider doing something. Let's keep, let's keep going. Next verse. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Sneaky Herod. I want to worship him too. And the Magi don't know that he's deceiving them. So they head off. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So scholars don't know what kind of star this was. People have speculated. It could have been a comet. It could have been um, a conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter. Like, they don't know. They don't, this, this was supernatural. This was something crazy. The star led them to Jerusalem. Why it didn't just lead them to Bethlehem, I don't know. So he, maybe God wanted them to cause a stir in Jerusalem first. And then it led them, it appeared and led them on to Bethlehem, right over the house, right to the house. They're, again, they're overjoyed. They're excited. This is an adventure they're on. They're in hot pursuit of finding the king of the Jews. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was customary in this time to present to royalty gifts that were uh, precious commodities that your native land produced. And so... They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, each of which had a prophetic um, pointer to who Jesus is. Gold would point to Jesus as king. He came as the king, and they would recognize that. They knew that. They presented gold to him. Frankincense, uh, not sure if they would understand the connection, um, but the priests, the Jewish priests, would burn frankincense when they brought gifts, sacrifices before God at the temple. They would burn frankincense. This would point to Jesus as high priest, as the one who came to be an intermediary, a, a mediator between God and man, an intercessor for us. The one who stepped down to be one of us so that he can come to God the Father on behalf of us and present a sacrifice of atonement for us. And then myrrh. And there's no way, I don't think there's any way that the Magi would understand the connection here. But Magi was, uh, Magi, myrrh was used uh, to anoint dead bodies in their burial. And this would point prophetically to Jesus' death. 
Jesus didn't just come as king and as high priest who offered a sacrifice. He came as a high priest who offered the sacrifice of himself. He was the lamb. He was king, high priest, and lamb. The lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, the Bible said, for us. So this is why we worship him. This is why he is worthy of our worship. This is what makes his arrival so significant. The king stepped off his throne to be one of us and then to offer himself as the lamb in our place. This is why he's worthy of us bowing down and worshiping him like the Magi, pursuing him at all costs, pushing aside whatever we need to push aside, whatever distractions are getting in the way. He's worth saying, no, this has become too much for me right now. It's too distracting. I'm too obsessed with this. I need to push this aside and let this go to worship him. We worship him with our time. We worship him with our pursuit. And we worship him with our precious commodities. Our valuables, our assets, they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century preacher, said this, Those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. And those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. Consecrate means set apart. To worship Jesus means we set apart that which is most valuable to us. And we say, God, it's yours. My time is yours. My talents are yours. The job that I have, it's not mine. It's yours. I'm going to work for you as an ambassador of you. Our money, our house. It's not my house. It's your house. God, how do you want me to use it? I'm not just going to give 10% of my money and say, there, that's yours, and I, 90% is mine. No, it's all his. How do you want me to use it, Lord? And again, we have an opportunity today, later on, the end of service, to present to God our money to goes to our missions offering. Not, not in true life. We don't touch a penny of it. It goes entirely to support the work that God is doing around the broken world we live in. That's one way. Not the only way, but one way. Let's keep going. Verse 12, after being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, during the night, <laughs> and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Excuse me. So Matthew is showing that this is another fulfillment of prophecy. Many, many prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus' arrival. Um, but this one in particular showed that Jesus, in the beginning of his life, was a refugee. He was on the run. His family was on the run. In the night, they had to get up and leave. Right? This, this kind of goes against that silent night song. It's my least favorite Christmas song because it's like, it was anything but silent at that time. The quakes, the disturbance in Jerusalem, Herod trying to kill him, them having to flee in the night. It was chaotic those first few years. He was a refugee. He sympathizes with the lowliest among us, the poor, the outcasts, the refugee. Let's keep going. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill 
all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. I can't fathom that. I mean, we see some horrific things, but imagine one town and its vicinity being systematically um, just door to door. If you have a child two years old or under, he's gone. Horrific, horrific, horrific. King Herod, evil, evil, because he was threatened. Because he was threatened by a child. Because his throne was too important. And I'd submit to you that there's a King Herod in all of us. You might think, well, I I wouldn't do something like that. Maybe not. But there's the sin and pride and the flesh that's in all of us that says me, me, and me are in charge. And you better not threaten that, Jesus, or I'm going to lash out. And we might not lash out with murder and genocide, but we might lash out being angry at somebody who gets something that we've been praying for. Jealousy, bitterness, trying to put a stop. Maybe we just refuse to bow our knee to Jesus in certain areas. Some folks who are not followers of Jesus are not followers because they don't want to submit to someone. They want to believe in something spiritual, something out there, but they don't want to submit to a personal God. I'll pray to him when I'm in trouble. He can help me, but I don't want to submit to him and give him my life. But some of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe for decades, we still struggle because there's areas that we start to cling to. And when Jesus says, hand that over, we're like, no. I'll give you my money, but I ain't going to give you my sex life. Or I'll, I'll give you my, my sex life, but I, I ain't going to serve the people who are different from me. Or I'm not going to forgive that family member. Not this area. I'm holding on to this. And when something that we had planned doesn't go according to our plan, we might get angry at God. We might raise our fist at him. There's a King Herod in all of us that we need to constantly be putting to death. The Bible says, put your sin to death. Put the King Herod to death. Don't let him put to death the work of God in your life. You put him to death. Because he's always on the prowl. The devil's trying to tempt that King Herod in us to come out. That says, no, Jesus, you're not going to be the full king of my life. Maybe over here, maybe where it makes me look like a good little churchgoer, but not here. This area is mine. The fundamental difference between the Magi and Herod, I think, was this. The Magi wanted to be small parts within God's big story, while Herod wanted to be the star of his own little pathetic story. The Magi were like, we're going to let our lives go for a while and just find this king. And Herod's like, no. The way things have been have to stay this way at all costs. Killing whatever is in my way. And so... My question, another one for you, what story are you living in? Are we trying to be the stars of that story? Are we content to be small parts in the big story of the king of the universe? Where are our hearts right now? One more passage, one more section of this passage. Verse 17 Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This would be Jeremiah 31. Matthew sees this moment in history, Herod killing 
all the boys, two years old and under, Matthew sees that as a fulfillment of a passage in Jeremiah 31 where the, the, the Jewish people were um, uh, being exiled and they were being scattered. scattered. The tribes of Israel were being scattered. And, and this was a, a reference to Rachel was married to Jacob. Uh, she gave birth to a few of the tribes of Israel. Um, she was buried in Ramah. And this was like a picture of Rachel coming out of her grave and looking for her children, her descendants, and seeing that they're gone because they've been scattered and exiled. That was the short-term fulfillment uh, back in Jeremiah's day, but there's a longer-term fulfillment that Matthew saw here. This moment when all the mothers in Bethlehem and the surrounding area were weeping because their young children were gone, taken, because the world is broken. And I think it is also a, a picture of just every time we see tragedy in our world. A reminder that the world is broken. December 14th was the 11th year, 11 year anniversary of um, the Sandy Hook school shooting. 2012, a disturbed young man went into Sandy Hook Elementary School, shot and killed six adults, teachers and staff, and 20 children, six and seven years of age. You guys remember, I'm sure. And I remember at that time, it was all over the news. We hadn't even launched as a church yet. And there was one particular reporter who said something that I just, oh, it, it struck me. She said, this is especially horrific to happen at Christmas time because it's when kids are off from school and they're spending more time with family. And I remember being in a mechanics shop, actually, watching that and thinking, yes, of course, on one hand, that is true. It's especially horrific because we think of Christmas with, as family time, um, and it is. But on the other hand, I was thinking, but this is why we have Christmas in the first place. It's because of things like this, the Sandy Hook school shooting and all the shootings that have happened since then, and what happened on October 7th when Hamas invaded Israel and, and take, took hostages and brutally killed more children and infants, and now all these 15, over 15,000 Palestinians have died in this war, and things are still happening. Kids are starving in Haiti. All over the world, Rachel is weeping for her children. And it's why Jesus came. It's why God came. Because the world is broken and we can't fix it. Because it starts in our hearts. The evil in our hearts has to be, has to be dealt with by a Savior who would come and pay for it and take it out. And one day he will come again in a second advent and completely make all things new. And this is why we celebrate and are just so excited like the Magi to worship the king who has come. But it's also why we should mourn and ache for Jesus' second return. Because the world is still broken. And many of you are mourning and aching because you have lost. You're experiencing the, the truth that this world is not how it ought to be. But Jesus has come. Emmanuel has come to be with us. And he's coming again. How will we respond? How are we responding right now to this wonderful truth? He has come. He'll come again. And are we responding with indifference? Is that the first 
way that, that some of us are responding? Is that, is that our first response right now? It's like, yeah, I've heard this before, but I got a lot to do today, and I got a busy week, and I got to figure things out with the family, because Uncle Joe and Cousin Bobby still don't get along, so we got to figure out how we're going to handle Christmas Eve. Is that where our hearts are? And if it is, we can just confess that. Lord, help me in my indifference. Shake me out of it. Is it threatened like King Herod? God, I had a plan and you ruined it. Now I'm angry. I can't submit to you and I can't worship you. Own that. Admit that. Confess that. God, this is where I'm at. I don't want you messing with my life. Or are we joyfully, joyfully pursuing Jesus and his kingdom? Even if we are mourning the brokenness of this world, things not being how they ought to be. There's many ways that we can pursue Jesus, worship Jesus. I could list a bunch of examples I'm not going to for the sake of time. Um, we're going to end with... Um, one final song, but don't stand, sit, band, you guys can come on up. Um, we're going to prepare to give in this Christmas offering that we've been talking about for a month. Because this is one way that we can say, Jesus, I want to fight against indifference. I want to I I m- knit my heart to yours. And if your heart is about getting the gospel to the world, if your heart is about making your love for people known in parts where they haven't even heard your name, I want to give in this offering. I want to I be part of that. I want to be part of bringing a demonstration of your love to places that have been affected by war and famine, that are lacking clean drinking water and medical care. So what we're going to do is we're going to just watch a, a slideshow of sorts behind the band. They're just going to sing over us. There's going to be a, a little slideshow on the screen of, of just, just showing how the world is broken and, and then also showing work that the missionaries that are in our church network, work that they're doing. And then we'll just pray over that offering and we'll dismiss.
As a reminder, in this annual offering that we take, the second offering at the end of the year, every penny goes outside of True Life Church because we have a partnership specifically with missionaries in the Middle East. 75% uh, of it goes to them, and then we send uh, the other 25% to a team in Germany. Um, last year, we brought in over $47,000 from this offering. But as I said last week, I am not praying. I have not been praying. I have not been asking our leaders to pray for a certain amount, but for a greater amount of participants. Those who receive the funds, it matters how much they get. Um, 
but for the sake of our church being knit to God's and his work around the world, my hope is that more of us would participate than last year. Instructions are on the screen. How you want to give electronically, you can drop a check in the box in the back. If you're online, you could stick a check in the mail um, or give electronically. Uh, but let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we want to have hearts like the Magi, pursuing you, not just with money, but every, everything, every area, Lord. This Christmas, we don't want to become like the chief priests in different. We don't want to be like, the, like King Herod, threatened easily because things have become too important in our lives. Triggered easily. We want to be like the Magi, looking for where you're working and saying, I'll drop anything to partner with you in what you're doing. In my home, in my neighborhood, in New Jersey, in America, and around the globe. And God, this is just one way we get to do that. And so I pray that all of us would give sacrificially, but also cheerfully. Investing in something that will matter a thousand years from now. I pray in your name, Jesus, for our church community. I pray for this final week leading up to Christmas, this final week of Advent. Anchor our hearts to yours. Help us care about the things you care about. And help us to not be so easily bothered by the things that are trivial. In your name, amen.